uh, our series tonight is uh, a new series which I'll uh, really just introduce us into uh, this evening and it's called Jesus Followers. Um, and uh, there we go. <clears throat> and uh, you will be aware if you've been coming to Arena for any length of time that we like to do Sunday ministry uh, in an expression of series. Of course during 52 weeks and they have this awful habit of coming round every seven days. Um, during the 52, there'll be the odd time when we're just dropping a message in. As Stephen said tonight, we understand the value of outside ministry. And more often than not, we give the outside ministry speaker free reign to speak to the life of the church. But we recognise that just by throwing mud at the wall and hoping that some will stick is not really an effective way of word preaching. So we come together collaboratively to think and pray and ask God to help us. Sometimes Christian will get a, 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 an inspiration in terms of, mate, I think this is the way to go and maybe it's me. And it, then it breaks out sometimes in other discussions. And Jesus' followers really was inspired by a conversation we had in a debrief meeting uh, arena right in the early summer. We meet regularly to make sure that we're on track in terms of how church is going and also uh, planning forward for uh, the week ahead and it's proved very very helpful to us at that particular meeting I have to confess uh, had some angst within it for uh, a particular situation that had arisen and out of conversation um, we sort of said almost collectively you know people just need to realize what it means to follow Jesus and uh, Christians sort of just looked at us and says you know, that's the series in the autumn. And so we're here tonight uh, ministering. And we're glad about that. <clears throat> a friend of ours who we've known for many years was in our house some time ago. She goes to a church in another part of the country, another denomination. And she says, I'm so frustrated with, uh, with uh, the ministry in the churches because our pastor's been very open in how he gets the ministry ready. He goes down to the church late on a Saturday night about 7 o'clock and waits on God for a message. And I said to her, and what you're getting is Genesis to Revelation, riding hobby horses and saying the same thing. She says, well, how did you know that? I says, it's inevitable. If you're going to approach ministry with that sense of desperation, and not even lastminutesermons.com is going to bail you out because you're not giving it time to get into you. Ministry, friend, it's not a lecture tonight. It's not, with respect to teachers in the room and, and those that lecture in very, it's not a lecture, it's the Word of God. The Word of God has to get into somebody before it can come through them. And as Stephen prayed tonight, we're believing that the Word of God will change us. And if you've never become a Christian tonight, it can be the starting point for your Christian journey. Those of us that are believers here tonight continually want to be shaped by the Word of God. So Jesus followers. I don't know whether we can get the verse up, John 1.43. Is that, is that on? Yeah, thank you. So here's the verse from the Gospel, the Good News Book of John in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, not this Philip, that Philip. He said to him, follow me, follow me. Now let me give you a little context for what was taking place there. If you read John, uh, John's Gospel sits separately from the other three Gospels. They're very intertwined in terms of how they are written. Uh, but John particularly emphasises 
um, the, the sonship, the divinity of Jesus. Uh, so he doesn't bother with genealogies. He says, in the beginning was the words, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And in this particular chapter, Jesus is calling disciples to himself and simply using this phrase, follow me. This morning, it was appropriate that we started the series in Arena Ilkeston because we had some baptisms. It was a brilliant morning, six people, all different stories, and uh, they had heard the cry to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the King. And we thank God that as Jesus called people physically whilst he was in the earth to follow him, over the last 2,000 years, as he's given the Holy Spirit to the earth to make Jesus real to people, Jesus has been calling thousands, and without exaggeration, millions of people to follow him. And it's wonderful. In the world of social media, some of you may enjoy it more than others, and some of you may be even saying, well, what's that? Um, but means of communication have changed hugely. We used to send letters. The art of letter writing is almost gone. Uh, we used to ring people. Now we, we set up WhatsApp accounts and bang things off each other and all those sorts of things. Well, I'm not on Facebook and I'm not going on it. Okay, no, no matter how many people tell me to, I'm not going on Facebook. But I like Twitter. I mean, if you're going to vent your spleen on Twitter, you've got to do it in 140 characters, so it's not a lot, you know. But the thing is, it. I was reading in a magazine the other day and I, I, I didn't realise that there were at least seven strands of what we'd call Twitter. And uh, you just, it's just fascinating how people communicate in these days. But in Twitter, you literally gain followers. That's what they're called. And uh, <clears throat> uh, people that sort of want to have a little insight into your world as we hopefully use Twitter for encouragement. I was reading that People have even got to the place of buying followers. You see, it strokes their ego to think that there's four people following them and not two. <laughs> but Jesus has never had to buy any followers. Over the two millennia since he died upon the cross, millions have flocked to Jesus the Christ. There are people today in the world of film and pop that would claim to have 10 million followers, which is a lot. But it's nothing compared to the followers of Jesus. And the definition of follow is to go after a person or to follow a pathway, both applicable to living out the Christian life. Jesus sets the course and we want to follow after it. In, Jos in John's Gospel, a little later on in chapter 10, he describes his followers as, sh as sheep. He understands sometimes that we're prone to wander and go our, our own way. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And the journey starts with an act of faith, believing, as we've heard tonight, that whilst we were still sinners, far from God, Jesus paid for us, paid the price for us, and we believe in that act of sacrifice. And then it works itself out in, if there's such a word, I'm going to use it, 
followership. The reality of our salvation, our belief, our decision, is the constant committed following of Christ and his ways. Becoming a Christian is just the start. God has got amazing things for us, which I'll touch on in a moment. And as we continually commit to following Jesus, to being one of his flock, to hearing his voice, then he will lead us in great ways. People around this room tonight that have been a Christian for any length of time will tell you that it's not always easy to follow Jesus. Sometimes just on the basis of making decisions of integrity, honesty, trying to do the right thing can be misunderstood by friends and family and work colleagues. It's not easy. But that great anthem song that we've sung so many times in arena over the last two or three years is so true. We've decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. So let me, as a means of introduction tonight, give you four things about being a Jesus follower. And what we're going to try and do over the ensuing six weeks is to try and relate this into some of the challenges and issues of the day. To take it into your office, into your workplace, into your sales environment, into your hospital, onto the school run, uh, in the journey of retirement, whatever it is for you, to work out being a Jesus follower. Because in Arena Church, we're passionate that Sunday makes an impact upon Monday. That it really carries us through to live out our faith. And we're not going to pull back. We're going to try and address some challenging issues. And we'll finish on uh, Remembrance Sunday by uh, just uh, bringing that to a conclusion. So stay with us. But here briefly tonight... Four things foundationally about being a Jesus follower. Number one, it's a personal challenge. It may be uh, that you've heard people say, so how did you become a Christian? Well, I became a Christian at a a Billy Graham mission, uh, a Reinhard Bonnke mission, a J. John mission. Uh, Evangelists that would gather thousands of people together uh, for an opportunity to speak the good news of Jesus Dr. Graham, of course, was probably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, now very aged in his 90s. And in around about 1984-85, he did Mission England. And uh, they, uh, they organised numbers of stadiums, uh, uh, football stadiums around the country. And when the invitation was given to receive Jesus, hundreds of people would run, out, run onto the fields. And the fact is the Spirit of God was dealing with all those people individually. That is amazing. I know it's a cliche, but like most cliches, there's an element of truth in it. But you've heard preachers say that if you were the only person that had failed God, if you were the only person that had sinned, missed the mark, God would have sent Jesus to die for you. It is so, so true think about the scope of the challenge whosoever will may come think of jesus 12 disciples there were fishermen there was a tax collector trying to get tax off the fishermen that didn't want to pay it there was a political activist simon the zealot there was a doubter there was a betrayer there were judeans and galileans north and south there was a microtype of god's macro plan that includes you and me. There's nobody that needs to be outside of the kingdom. There's nobody that doesn't need to fit. 
there's introverts and extroverts, there's the outgoing and the shy, and all in between. There's the married, there's the single, there's the divorce. There's those that have been brought up in church. And those are the Christians in our church tonight that would have said, even a few years ago, you wouldn't find me dead in the church. Well, thank God they're alive and they're here tonight. Jesus has changed their lives. The scope of the challenge is amazing. And I love Arena Church for that. You couldn't have got six more different stories this morning if you'd have tried. And yet all those people wooed to following Jesus by hearing his voice and following him. And then the substance of the challenge. There have been occasions when people have said to me, particularly perhaps in mentor, you see the problem with you Christians is you're weak, you're wimps. You need a crutch to lean on. You've got to be joking. Being a Christian is about courage and bravery. Jesus said, if you're going to come and follow me, you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. He's not talking about carrying a literal, literal cross. There have been evangelists that have done that. But he's talking about allowing him to strike at the very core of our heart. To die to our selfishness and our self-absorption. And to begin to walk in ways of love and service and obedience. What a challenge. Not for the faint-hearted, but for those that want to rise to what he's called them to be. Not only a personal challenge, but also a pathway to walk in. You see, the gospel is not just a doorway. It is that. Jesus says, I am the door or I am the gate, depending on what translation you use. But it's not only a doorway, it's a pathway. We enter in to start and then we continue by following Jesus' direction. How can we do that? Well, we can do it by uh, being submissive. Again, in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus says, I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. Our culture is obsessed with people pleasing themselves. Jesus didn't come to please himself. He came to do the will of the Father. And true fellowship of Jesus, it's not you living for you, it's you living for him. William Booth, who is quoted uh, on one of our banners at uh, Arena Ilkeston, was the founder of the Salvation Army that's just celebrated its 150th anniversary. And whilst we may look at the army in some respects and perhaps have some questions, the reality is they are still one of the greatest social movements in the earth, helping people in so many amazing ways. People think that William Booth was a Londoner because he started his Salvation Army mission in the East End. But actually he's from just down the A60 in Nottingham. And uh, there's a museum there in honour of his work. Within the first 30 years of William Booth's life, the Salvation Army found itself in 55 nations. That's apostolic ministry. And I was talking to Silence, who's in our Ilkeston campus from Zimbabwe. And she said to me, oh, she says, Phil, uh, you mentioned William Booth this morning. Uh, my, uh, she says, we have a Salvationist background. My mum's still in the Salvationist. And they are celebrating at this very time in Zimbabwe 125 years of Salvation Army ministry. I was then reminded of uh, a map that I was looking at where they'd got from Angola 
to Zimbabwe, A to Z of the spread of this ministry in the last years. William Booth said these words, there was a time when God had all the parts of William William Booth. I wonder whether that's why God used it in the way that he did. I wonder if there's some rooms in the heart of your life that are all Jesus. So well, you can ask 70% of my life, Lord, but you're not having that. That's mine. That's me time. That's me. See, when people get used like that, there's no close rooms to Jesus. Everything's submitted to him. And then what about surrender? You may have seen that classic line in some uh, cop drama where down the megaphone they've, they've surrounded the criminals. They've got them all. I want you to come out. With your hands held high. In other words, the only way that you're going to be safe getting out of that place is by surrendering. I'm not going to ask you to do that tonight, it's okay. But maybe you've come to church, maybe you've come with a friend, maybe you're new to our type of worship. So what do people do this for? What's all that about? Well, the Bible talks about Christians lifting holy hands to God. We don't stop people because we think it's one of the most natural expressions of worship that could possibly be. And when we lift our hands to God, depends which tradition you come from. You know, if you're from Fulham Pentecostal, it's this. If you're more charismatic, it's this, you know. And you could be a bit in between, you know. But people do it in all sorts of ways. The reality is that when we raise holy hands to the Lord, we're saying we're surrendering. We're surrendering. We're giving everything unto God. And I want us to freshly commit tonight to say to the Lord Jesus, we want to navigate the pathway, though it's not always easy, that you are laying down for us. Even though it may be the narrow way at times, the Bible says that it leads to life. Number three, when we follow Jesus, there's a principle to live by. And it's simply this, it's obedience you perhaps heard the story quite well known of the little boy that's being mischievous and uh, his mum is talking to two or three friends and he keeps sort of getting in the way and jumping all over her and uh, she tells him to sit down she tells him to sit down and then she tells him to sit down and uh, this time he knew that she meant it and so he sat down but rather cheekily he said to his mum I may be sat down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inn I wonder if that's us tonight on our spiritual journey. I wonder if outwardly we're spiritually compliant, but inwardly defiant to the claims of Jesus on our life. I wonder if there are people here tonight that know that God has spoken to them in particular ways, and you found it at this time impossible to yield to what he's saying to you. You're putting all sorts of excuses in the place. You may be fearful of what he's asked you to do. He'll always be with you. You may feel insufficient. You may feel you can't. But don't be in that place tonight where, yeah, you sat down, but inwardly you're defiantly standing up against what he wants you to be. Come to that place tonight of finding obedience. In John's Gospel again in chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus ever did, he turned the water into wine at a wedding. And in the beginning of that story, Mary, Jesus' mother, sensed that something was going to happen. And she warned the servant, she says, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. It was a warning, it was a signal. And uh, there was a realisation that Jesus was at work. 
And he said to the servants, I want you to take all of these huge water pots that contain several gallons of water, and I want you to fill them to the brim. It says that they did so. They implemented the command of Jesus. And then he said, I want you to go into the reception area and begin to pour this out. And of course, you know the story. The waters it was poured out was the best wine. In the Eastern custom, the best wine was normally first. But in this instance, because the hand of Jesus was upon it, the best wine came last. There was a confirmation of the amazing work of Jesus. Here's the truth. Miracles always collide with obedience. I believe, friends, that God wants to do some amazing things in this church. And as I look around the room tonight, I'm in awe, I say that carefully, of people that have obediently sought to respond to what Jesus has said to their life. And I believe, friends, that the obedient heart of this congregation is setting itself up increasingly for Jesus to do the miraculous. I say it carefully tonight. Don't pray for miracles in your life if you're still standing up on the inside. It's not going to work. He's looking for people that will compliantly hear him, realize that Jesus is up to something, implements what he tells us to do, and see the confirmation by an amazing miracle. I wonder if the miracle tonight is that you need a different house, a new job. A different street to live on. A different car because yours is, you know, got 450,000 miles on it. It's about time you changed it. Whatever it is, those real circumstances around the room tonight and you need a miracle. I want you to say that we want to continue to believe that God will do miracles in Jesus' name. And if you live by the principle of obedience, get ready for the miracles. And number four, a potential to fulfill. Someone said this, every person is unique. Isn't that incredible? So I was introduced to twins this morning. I didn't realize there were twins because they're not identical twins. But even identical twins carry a uniqueness about them. Every person is unique and it is given to them that they may unfold and flower. There are too many budded flowers in the church. There are too many people that haven't allowed the water of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them and bloom and blossom into what God's intended them to be. Our growth track that is becoming increasingly part of the journey of Arena Church encourages us to know God, to find freedom, to discover our purpose so that we can make a difference. Making a difference may not be that you stand and have the privilege of being on the platform. It may be that you're not gifted to lead worship. But I want to say without any sense of contradiction tonight, God has ordained that you can make a difference in people's lives. He really can. That's at the very heart of God. Purpose is always contested for. Therefore, if the enemy of our souls can keep us in a place where we never fulfill our potential, he's really happy. Oh, how many times have we had the teacher bemoan over the pupil, the coach over the player, the employer over the employer. These sad words, so much unfulfilled potential 
people, friends, that never get to where they could have got to. And it's so sad. In Luke 18, a ruler comes to Jesus, a young ruler described in one uh, passage, and he had much wealth. He says to Jesus, I've I've kept all these uh, uh, laws that you've spoken about, but I'm, I'm really thirsty to know what it is for me to inherit eternal life. People have misconstrued this chapter at times and says, God's telling everybody to give all the money away. But Jesus, by a a, a revelation, knew that the the God of this man's life was his wealth. So he said, well, if you're going to come and follow me, you're going to have to give all that away. In other words, make me the priority and not that, and come and follow me. And we read in the Gospels that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't know about you, but I, I, I sort of think, wonder what that guy could have been. wonder what he could have done with his influence. How did he create his wealth in the first place? His entrepreneurial spirit, his ability to connect with people in modern day parlance, his networking. And he didn't use all of that for the kingdom because it became about him. If you read the Gospels, I try and read between the lines at times, and I'm convinced that the disciples on occasions... They, they drove Jesus crazy. I mean, we get to John chapter 14 and they still didn't get that he was the way, the truth and the life. They were absolutely bound. They said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. We don't want you to go. He said, if I don't go, he's not coming. Aren't you glad that he went so the Holy Spirit could come? But Jesus patiently taught and encouraged I believe one of the great reasons friends is because he determined by the help of God to draw out the potential of those 12 disciples he poured into them the Bible says that he rose again the third day as we've sung tonight 40 days later he ascended to heaven the sign that he'd reached the right hand of authority in heaven was that the spirit of God was poured into the earth Acts chapter 2 that spirit poured upon the disciples they preached with power and it was said of them that they turned the world upside down fantastic So what are we following? Well, we can obviously follow trends. We can follow fashions. I clearly don't do that. Joshua booted and suited this morning and he really looked the deal. Um, But following fashions costs you a lot of money, I'm telling you. You know, and if following fashions means you turn up with your jeans with holes in them, I'm not sure, you know. But anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. There's a way... There's a young lady on the front row with exactly that fashion. <clears throat> Age gap. You can follow teams. Painful at times. All right, being a Man U fan, try being a Forest fan. You can follow philosophies. Follow all sorts of things. Weird and wonderful. They're all out there. You can follow them from the comfort of your own room through computers and communication networks. I want to tell you, there's no greater journey in life than to respond and to follow Jesus. And we're just going to explore that in these next weeks. What it is to follow and hear the Holy Spirit saying to us, follow me. Tonight, I remind you, it's a personal challenge. It may be that your parents are great Christians 
but are you? It's a personal challenge. There's a pathway to walking. And uh, God wants us not only to go through the gateway, but to commit to the pathway. There's a principle to live by that is complete obedience to the Lord, that doesn't have us defiantly standing up before him and keeping things to ourselves, And it sets us up for miracles. And there's a potential to fulfill. This church is beginning to realise its potential. But there's more. And the Bible says that God's able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. God taking hold of your life. You finding freedom. Discovering your purpose. And making an amazing difference. Put your name where Philip's name is tonight. And hear the cry. Follow me. Let's pray. I'm asking you to pray tonight, not in the sense of saying a prayer, but just be in the attitude of prayer. Because we love to give an invitation every Sunday evening in Arena Church uh, and give an opportunity for people that wish to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've been one of those sheep that's straight. And tonight, you almost sense Jesus pulling you back into the way, saying, come on, come back into the way. Maybe somebody that's become disenchanted, Maybe a hurt in your life. Maybe something said to you by another Christian that shouldn't have been said. And you've wandered. You're in danger of missing your potential. And Jesus said at the beginning of this series, I'm encouraging you tonight to recommit to following me. And I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you, and I say it reverently, to lift all your hands. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But to help me tonight, if you'd say, Phil, would you like to pray for me? then I would ask you to raise your hand. So that's me tonight. I want to respond again to following Jesus. Anybody like to respond to him tonight?